Episode 31. What do you think about that, AP? That was dirty 30 plus one. 31. <laughs> and at that point, you know, like in life, if you're over 30, like the dirty 30, I think people celebrate that today. Yeah. They don't always call it dirty 30. I know no. you did. I didn't. I did I'm not. like, I'm, you know. But when you're 31, it becomes like, man, it's downhill from here, right? I mean, but, but what no. I understand in podcast land... 40s, the new 30s. So we're still young in this podcast. We're still young. We're still learning. We're still improving. Hey, this is AP and Spence. We're two lawyers talking college sports, uh, sports law. Um, you know, there's been a lot going on yeah, uh, it, over the last week, as there always is. There, there always is. I, you know, and, and I've been in this game a little while, and you have too, Spence, and we've been doing this a half a year. And there is news upon news upon news. Why? Sports is important, and there's money involved. And so we're going to get into a lot of things. What do we got on deck for today, Spence? Boy, we're going to be giving an update about what's going on with the Zion Williamson lawsuit. We're going to be talking about some uh, new laws that came down in Florida, name, image, and likeness laws. We're going to be interviewing Jason Knavel, right, who is the director of communications for Bowling Green State University and, and with some exciting announcements. And then later today, we're also going to be chatting about an update on college football. Is it coming back? Yeah, we got an update on college football. And lastly, I'll add, as a USC alumni, Reggie Bush, in his as disassociation from USC, has officially ended as of last Wednesday, a couple of days ago. And Was that a specific penalty from the NCAA that Reggie Bush and USC had to be disassociated from one another? It was, and it was a lifetime ban. Uh, so, like, his Heisman Trophy had to be taken down. Right. Uh, we couldn't have any pictures of him anywhere. We couldn't have any articles mentioning him. We couldn't use him in recruiting. We had to be careful putting a recruit in a number five jersey. We had to remove the the number five off the Coliseum, which used to have his jersey, and then it was removed there. And uh, so, yeah, they went. They had to basically pretend he never went to school there. And we have to fight, unless it was historical record. Like you could leave in there, Reggie Bush had these touchdowns in, into some of the media guides. But uh, that's about it. I mean, it was really, really tough. Uh, but now he's back. He's a big name in college football. He's on Fox, and he's he's USC's welcoming him back with open arms, and he's going to be helping USC beat the likes of BYU coming up. Oh boy, that's a tall order. Yeah, because well, BYU well, a, BYU beat them the last time they played, as you recall. Yeah, yeah, but but Reggie Bush is a is a tall person, so he's ready to roll. He's actually not that tall, <laughs> but he's but he's his stats are tall. Okay, well that's exciting. I'm really excited for USC. You know, and interestingly, as we've been ta talking about, there's a lot of parallels between what was going on with Reggie Bush and USC and what's going on or what's alleged to have gone on now with Zion Williamson and Duke, right? Yeah, there's, there's quite a few. I mean, we have, um, you know, money, cars, houses, extra benefits. It's the same thing that, that happened with Reggie Bush. I mean, his parents were allegedly... You know, they, they obtained a house in San Diego, whether it was rent-free or, or they paid a certain amount that was reduced, but they got some housing. Reggie Bush apparently got flights to Vegas and some extra benefits and money. And, you know, that's what happens where you get these high-profile, super high-profile student-athletes. The NCAA, after the Reggie Bush case, said high-profile athletes require high-profile compliance. And so when you have people like Zion Williamson and their families when you're the compliance office, you got to be giving high-profile compliance. And so we got a lot of interplays here that we're going to get into, but 
you know, Zion Williamson has not been accused of any, I mean, he's been accused, he hasn't been convicted of anything yet, so to speak. The NCAA hasn't said that he's guilty, but there's a lot of smoke, and we're gonna, we're gonna get through some of that smoke with our, with our face masks on, Spencer. Okay, let's go, let's go through it. So, basically, to kind of give a rundown about what's been going on in this case, um, as we've talked about, uh, Zion Williamson originally signed a, an agreement with, a, uh, with an agent by the name of Gina Ford. And about a week later, he dropped Gina Ford and then went and signed an agreement with, uh, with Prime Sports. So, or it's Prime Sports is the same as Gina Ford, uh, with CAAA, which is the big guys. They're the biggest of the big. Yeah, see, the small guys are always named Prime Sports, right? Or so, no, no offense to that program. Uh, but it's just like if you work in Hollywood and you're Hollywood. The real Hollywood people aren't in Hollywood. You have CAA, Creative Artist Agency. They have a, the, the big name agencies have symbols. CAA, ICM, you know, our law firm. What do we go by? WBG. That's right. right? Those are the players. And uh, <laughs> Prime Sports, that sounds like, I don't know, man. I can see why that might have been a lesser agency. No offense to them. Gina Ford's, I'm sure, a licensed great agent. And it sounds like she might have got screwed by Zion Williamson. But let's find out. Yeah, so basically what happened was uh, Gina Ford's whole argument, their lawyer's whole argument is that Zion Williamson was not, was a was an ineligible athlete. And therefore, by him signing with her, he did not violate any rule under the UAAA Act uh, within in North Carolina. So, because the UAAA Act says that if you are an eligible student athlete, you cannot sign with an, with an agent until you have exhausted your eligibility. So Zion Williamson is trying to say, hey, I was, I was a student still when I signed this contract, therefore it's not enforceable. Uh, Gina Ford is saying, you were never an eligible student, if that makes sense. So basically what happened was the, Gina Ford and her attorney sent a list of questions called a request for admission to Zion Williamson. Zion Williamson won, actually, and the judge and the judge stayed him having to answer those questions, meaning putting a pause on the need for him to answer the question. But then he gave Gina Ford and her attorneys 10 days to respond. And in the response, she's now presenting evidence that, that Zion Williamson was receiving benefits. Specifically, she said that prior to moving to Dur Durham, North Carolina, Zion Williamson's stepfather and mother were living in a home that rented at $895 a month. Uh, it, it appears Zion Williamson's mother was a teacher. And then when they moved to Durham, North, North Carolina and moved into the home of a Duke graduate that was valued at $950,000 and they were renting and paying $4,495. So how, that's a huge discrepancy, right? Does that raise any red flags to you? Well, it does. But I was thinking as you were talking, something's confusing to me a little bit about the Gina Ford contract, right? So the UAAA says you can't sign a contract if you were a student, right? That's right. So, are they, but it's, it's against the law. It, it like you're prohibited from signing contracts under the UAAA if you're if you're an eligible student athlete. So, when is Gina Ford saying that he signed? Is are is she saying that he signed after he finished his eligibility with Duke? What she is saying specifically is, is that he was not an eligible athlete even while he was pay, playing at Duke because he had already received benefits. Therefore, he's not an eligible athlete. Therefore, when, she, when he signed with her, he was totally fine to sign with anybody. He was trying to find a sign. Because I would, gosh, I would argue, I don't understand Zion Williamson's uh, defense then because if, 
he's done with his eligibility and signs with Gina Ford under our, either argument, whether he was ineligible earlier or at the end of his career, it seems like he signed a valid contract under either way. Is that not right? That's not right because the UAA, well, that's Zion Williamson's whole argument because under the UAAA, he, when he signed with Gina Ford, he was, not el- he was not eligible to sign with her at that time. So he's, but is he admitting then he signed with her while he was still a student? That's right. So he signed with her when, she was still, when he was still a student, which would mean that that signature is, uh, is invalid under the UAA. Well, and if he still had eligibility remaining when he signed it, then Duke is in violation because he's signing it. Yeah, potentially. But, you know, you could, you could sign with agent uh, and you could go through the NBA draft process and pull your name out. So I think he's kind of saying, well, I wasn't really sure if I was going to go into the draft at that point. Okay. And so then, then when he finally decided it's time for me to go into the draft, he, okay. he then fired her. And went with CAA. Okay, I, that makes a little more sense because I didn't know if he was saying like, "Hey, no, I I was at Duke when I signed with her." So this agent, like, wait a minute here, but I I get that now. Yeah. So okay, so they're moving the needle. Gina Ford saying, "You you were not eligible. You were a pro. You were receiving benefits, houses. There are three cars that that were supposedly being driven by Zion Williamson and his family. And then just after he signed with CAA, he purchased a home, or his mother purchased a home." For seven hundred thirty thousand bucks. Yeah, and so the funny thing is, a couple of things here because the student athlete people should know the parents are an extension of the student athlete. So if the parents are receiving benefits or preferential treatment on the on behalf of or because of who their son is, then that's going to basically go to the student athlete and be a violation against them. We used to always tell the student athletes at USC that. So be careful what your parents are doing. Make sure you tell them they can't go get benefits on your behalf and think that it keeps your hands clean. You know, and, and the funny thing is, a million dollar home in Durham, North Carolina, that, that's probably, that could be a one and a half, two million dollar home in Oregon. Yeah. Or five million dollar home in LA. You know, so this isn't a little shanty. You know, this is a nice, nice house. How are they affording it, right? And now, of course, student athletes for themselves, they could get a line of credit or a couple of things from a bank if they're about to sign and go pro, if a bank wants to do that. It doesn't make any sense that their parents were getting it. And I don't think anybody was loaning him millions of dollars. I also am wondering if you're a one and doneer, and you, why can't you just wait six months, finish out your career, and then get the stuff? What 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 is the big fire? Because this kind of stuff happens, right? Now we've got all kinds of drama. And explain to me, Spencer, how on a teacher's salary you could afford five thousand a month housing? Because you're a, you're a conservative guy with money. You you you'll be able to tell me. I have no idea. I have no idea how it's how it's possible, but that's where the correlation or the the, the similarities with the Reggie Bush issue is, right? Because yeah. Reggie Bush's parents were did receive benefits while he was playing at USC, specifically this house in San Diego. Yeah, you know how we monitored this at USC. So what we would do is we had a software called Jump Forward, and it's a good software. And a lot of programs use it. And when we would meet, we would meet with all the high profile athletes one on one, and with their families. But I would have somebody come in. I remember I did Sam Darnold's. And so Sam Darnold came in. He sat down. And I walked through everything. Where do your parents live? What's their address? Uh, you know, where are you living? What's your dorm? We want a copy of your lease. We, you know, we, we don't want a, a copy of a mortgage for a parents. We don't want it to go that far. But you got to report where are they living? What's their address? Is it a house? Is it who owns it? Is it theirs? We do the same thing with cars. And we want car registration. We kept car registration and leases on file for this reason. Because if somebody gave us a registration and it says um, Jimmy Sexton, 
And you're like, wait a minute, Jimmy Sexton's a sports agent. How, how is that the registered owner of your right. Bugatti? You know right. what I mean? So it's the same idea. So the question I'm trying to get at is could Duke Compliance and Duke University have done more to monitor probably the highest profile athlete they've had in a while. They have a lot of high profile athletes in basketball, but he's one of the highest in a while. Could they have done more to check this out? Well, it was really interesting that you bring that up because there's actually, Duke has already put out a statement saying, hey, we already investigated this. We investigated his eligibility. We cleared it with the NCAA. He's totally fine. So to the extent that this stuff was going on, Either Duke didn't know about it, or or Gina Ford just has bad information, which which is which could be the case. You know, I, we we don't know for sure that this is accurate, that this is factual. This is just based in on what she put in court documents. Now, you and I both know you do not lie to a tribunal, right? No, if you're an attorney and you're not going to go this far, and you're lying to a tribunal, you're lying to court, you're making up stuff. And it's pretty specific stuff. This isn't just, oh, I'm sure his parents got benefits. I'm sure this is going on. This seems very specific. And now Kansas has been looped in a little bit. Right. Yeah, what's going on with Kansas? Well, Kansas, there's been um, implications that they were offering housing and money and, and his family wanted jobs. I've heard rumors of that as well. And Kansas was recruiting Zion Williamson too. So there's a lot of smoke out there. And if you're really the number one recruit and everybody's trying to recruit you and some people are offering you money, you're probably going to want to get money from everybody and get offers from everybody. Right. Uh, now, again, we haven't said Duke's done anything wrong. They've said they've investigated. But just because they said they've investigated it, this stuff's hard to find, just like it was at, with USC. It's hard to monitor some agent giving parents in a different area a house or, or benefits. And everyone just keeps their mouth shut. So just because Duke looked at it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Um, or that they were on top of it. And there's a lot of smoke here. Maybe it'll all go away and Gina Ford's lying about this, but I find that hard to believe. Yeah, we'll just have to keep monitoring it because this is, it'll be interesting to see what the judge does with this. Now, I would assume that Zion Williamson and his lawyers would, would be able to respond to this. They'll probably just deny everything. Uh, and then if, you know, if, there's, if, and if there's any question as to who is, um, who should be answering these, if Zion should be answering these questions, the, the judge is going to rule in favor of the non-moving party, right? So if Zion Williamson is, uh, is, is saying we don't want to answer these questions and there is some evidence that says that we need answers to these questions, the judge will likely rule or look at the evidence most likely in favor of the non-moving party, meaning Gina Ford and her, and her attorneys. It'll be really interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, so the non-moving party meaning the party that's not trying to not answer it. That's right. You know, like, hey, you know, we, we need to get answers to these questions. But, you know, there's a lot of smoke here. I mean, the NCAA, this, this, certainly the NCAA has heard about all this. Yeah, absolutely. And it's on their radar. I think Coach K has a pretty close relationship with people at the NCAA. Um, but that doesn't matter. I mean, in the end, I mean, if all this bad stuff's happening, you know, it's happening, and it honestly, it wouldn't be that surprising, right? I mean, right. If you got a number one recruit, and his parents are getting stuff, and he's getting stuff, and it's just always, it's always baffling to me because this happens over and over, and it's in one and doneers that are going to get millions and millions of dollars six months later. I don't always wonder why they can't just hit pause, and and just play it through. I, I you know, it always turns into well, no, we got to get housing, this, all that, right, right now. Yeah, but the problem is, by the time it happens, Zion Williamson's gone. That's he's right. In, he's in the NBA now. And then, and then the school is left to kind of pick up the pieces. Pick up the pieces two or three or four years later. Coach K retires, maybe. And how sad would it be for Coach K to retire 
uh, amidst controversy. You know, we don't, but we're, we're adding a lot to Duke that we don't know yet, but there's a lot of smoke around Duke here. Um, and I don't know, man. I mean, what, what is your take? What's your gut tell you, Spencer? I, my gut is telling me that, that pretty soon we're going to hear not, not any specifics, but that we're going to hear some type of a settlement, a cash settlement between Zion Williamson and Gina Ford. Yep. And, and we will never find out what actually happened. Yeah, That's if, my gut. Yeah, I think that's right. Because if, if Reggie Bush had just settled out, this is, the, I mean, a mirror image of Reggie Bush signs with a smaller agency, takes benefits, then becomes a star, wants to sign with a star agency. That's always what happens every time. I used to tell student athletes that same thing in rules ed. You're going to take benefits from a small agency, get yourself blackmailed by them. When you try to switch, they're going to out you every time. And that's exactly what happens every time. And that's what happened here, probably, maybe. We'll see. Uh, but in the Reggie Bush case, that's the same thing that happened. And so if he had just settled with that place when they said, hey, we want our $10 bucks," and you just paid it. Now here, though, $100 million. Yeah, that's so. That's, so, how much are you going to settle for? Are you going to settle for 20, 30? If you're going to pay that kind of money, I take that as you were guilty. Maybe Duke will never be able to get damaged because the NCAA can't get that the evidence. But I'm going to, in my mind, Duke's guilty if he settles for millions of dollars. Yeah, we'll just have to see what happens and we'll keep you up to date as we continue to hear. Yeah. All right. Let's, um, let's, let's go to the phones. What do you think? I like going to phones. I mean, this is AP and Spence. We're two lawyers talking college sports. And. Let's go to the phone, Spence. That's I good. think it's a good idea. All right, what does that sound mean, Aaron? It means we have a caller. That's right. And this caller, as, as it always has been, is brought to us by Welch, Brun & Green. Welch, Brun & Green is a law firm and based in Portland, Oregon. We specialize in workers' comp, personal injury, social security disability, and what else? Collegiate sports law. Basically, we do consulting services for schools, for student athletes, for parents, administrators. Basically, anything a compliance office could do, we could do. Give us a call and we'll help you out. So how do they get in contact with you? 503-221-0870. That's our law firm phone number. Give us a call. Ask for Aaron or Spencer. You can also email us at collegesportsattorneys at gmail.com. Or lastly, you can go to our website, www.wbgatty.com, and all of our information is on there. Give us a call. You won't regret it. All right, here we are, AP. We're back to the phones, and uh, who do we have on the phones today? We have Jason Knavel, and I know that it's spelled K-N-A-V-E-L, and we've learned that it's the K is not silent. Oftentimes, Ks are silent, like in knife, but this is like evil Knavel. This is Jason. This is this is uh, a guy that um, you know he's bold. The K is not silent. So I, like excited. That. I like it. No, so he he's a assistant AD for athletic communications uh, with Bowling Green State University. Yeah, and he's been gracious enough to agree to come on our podcast and chat with us for a little bit. Hey, hey there, Jason. How you doing? Fantastic. Thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, Jason, uh, we always like to start kind of uh, with kind of uh, the background of how you got to where you are and where you are currently. And um, so if you wouldn't mind running down your background. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, as a, as a kid, like I think a lot of people who get into athletics, uh, you know, I, I growing up, I wanted to be a, a, a professional athlete. I realized pretty quickly that uh, that wasn't going to happen. That wasn't. That wasn't where I was headed. So, uh, I, you know, so my, my options were either to be a coach or to write about sports. And I uh, decided, I, you know, I'd like to write about sports. So I went to school to, 
uh, as a journalism uh, student and uh, and graduated with a journalism degree and, and uh, started my career as a sports writer uh, on, in the media. And uh, my alma mater, which is a, a small NAI school in Indiana called Grace College, called me up and asked me to be their SID. And uh, I told them, that we talked for a little while and, and wasn't really 100% sure what that was, but decided to to make that uh, make that transition. So, been doing uh, been doing this, been in this field now for a little bit over 20 years. I, I was at uh, Grace for uh, seven. Uh, went from there to Mercyhurst College, which is a Division two school, and now it's Mercyhurst University in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, was there for a couple of years and and uh, got the opportunity at Bowling Green. And uh, I've been here for 11 years now. Love Bowling Green. Uh, it's been uh, fantastic for me, fantastic for my family, and uh, this opportunity has been has been great. I've uh, I've had the opportunity to to uh, do and see a lot of things at Bowling Green, and, and it's uh, it's exactly it's it's my dream job. It's it's everything I could I could wish for. Yeah, oh, Jason, that that's awesome. That well, first of all, you're you're uh, very experienced. You've got a, a lot of time in this field. That's awesome. So you you obviously know what you're doing and how to navigate everything. And uh, for the listeners that have no idea what like athletic communications or that sort of thing, what, what does that mean? What 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 if you could walk through like a typical day, week, month, some of your tasks? What 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 are some of the things you do in your role? Sure. Yeah. You know, every day is an adventure. Every day, is, every day is a little bit different. But um, you know, when people ask me what what what's the what's the job, what do you do, uh, and when I you know kind of boil it down to one sentence, we tell the story. So we tell the story of the athletics department. We tell the story of uh, of our teams. Um, our job is uh, we do we do you know anything related to the to the website, social media. Um, media relations, uh, any way we can find to tell the story of our teams, to promote our teams, to talk about our teams, to, to highlight um, the, the performances and the efforts that our, that our student athletes are putting forth, that's our job. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I get to, I get to talk with the, the student athletes uh, on a regular basis. I get to uh, be around them. I get to, you know, I get to, I get to see them grow up from 18 year old kids to 22 year old men and women. And, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really fulfilling and satisfying. That sounds good. I, I mean, you know, it's funny, like you said, you tell, I like the way you put it, you tell the story because somebody has to, right? I mean, whether it's a corporation, whether it's an athletic team, whether it's a department, somebody has to get the message out, the word out of what's going on and, and that sort of thing. You know, to that, to that, uh, I guess, same vein, you know, when I was at USC in Oregon State, but especially at USC, I know that our, our folks would prepare staff members to, you know, when they would communicate with the media or outside entities or that sort of thing in certain ways. Uh, but I never heard exactly how they prepared them or what they were doing or, or, or what they would say. I was curious, you know, if you, let's say you have a football coach or a basketball or baseball coach, or you got a athletic director or associate AD that's going to talk to the media or a paper or do a podcast or something. What are some things you might approach them about of kind of the do's and don'ts and, and how might you educate them? 
Sure, sure. And, and we do that with both staff and student athletes, in fact. And, and you know, the, the first thing you do is you put them in a position where they, where they feel comfortable. So, you know, if it's, if, if it's a, if it's a media interview that, um, may be on a subject that they're, that they're not entirely comfortable with, or, you know, we have, we have times where you have crisis management or you have, um, you have, you have things that aren't necessarily going 100% perfectly. Um, you sit down with them and you talk through, you talk through the possible questions. There's uh, a lot of times I sit down and I act as if I'm a media member with them and I hit them with every single question I can possibly come up with on the negative side. Um, and we'll sit down and, and, and I'll be, you know, I'll hit them with every angle we can come up with and then let them respond and then we talk about okay that that was good but maybe we can do this a different way or maybe we've got another angle to that or another aspect so um there's there's that kind of quote unquote coaching aspect that we do um we have there are times where we bring in um where we bring in specialists to help also that coaching we've done with student athletes we've done panels with our local media have them come in and and talk with our student athletes. Um, it's all part of, it, and with student athletes, I consider it part of the educational process. They're here, um, they're here to learn first and foremost. And uh, and my role is to help them become uh, confident public speakers and um, people who can go out into you know whatever their next profession is and speak confidently and speak speak adequately and. And uh, you know, learn the learn how to do that in a public setting. Yeah, it was always amazing when I was at USC and I, I worked with football uh, primarily, um, basketball a little bit too, but. <clears throat> You know, the the message we get to the student-athletes, maybe after a tough loss, let's say. You know, we, we lost a really tough game. And you really don't want a student-athlete saying, you know, that other team sucks. You know, we should have beat them. And, and you know what I mean? Yeah. You want them to have – no, 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 don't don't say that. Just, you know, say, hey, you know what, we um, you know it was an unfortunate day. We didn't execute. It's not really about others. It's about us. They had certain ways of staying positive but honest and responsive. Um, you know, and, and not kind of going down roads or kind of going rogue. And I think there's a little bit of a controlling of the message to keep things positive and respectful and a little more PC. I mean, do you find that sometimes too? There's a sense of like, you want them to tell the truth and be responsive, but you, you don't want them to, <laughs> let's not bash the other team or, you know, complain about your coach, that kind of thing. Uh, for, for sure. And, and first and foremost, we, 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 we never want anybody to, to not tell the truth or to lie. And, and, I, and I would never, ever... Um, have somebody do that and, and it's it's for one and, and most importantly it's, it's a bad it, it's it's a bad way to build a relationship with your with your local media um, in terms of that but you do select um, folks to represent your your program and student athletes to represent your program who you have confidence in um, going out in front of the media and answering the tough questions. And I always tell them, don't be afraid to express disappointment. That's perfectly fine. I mean, we expect you to be disappointed uh, that you lost a, a basketball game. And, and a lot of times fans want to know that you're disappointed. They don't want you to – they don't want to feel like, yeah. oh, everything's okay. It's uh, no big deal that we lost. But go ahead and express that disappointment. But 
also, yeah, you have to you have to do it with a level of respect, and and there's an understanding, and and you know we we typically have a, a select you know a select group of student athletes who we will put um, in a press conference right after a game uh, after a loss, um, and, and that you know and that list of players expanded after a win, but you can also have players who. You know, say the wrong things after a win too, and that's the learning process. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. I think that's really that's really good. And it kind of it's funny because it's a brand in a lot of ways, right? You got you got your fans, you got your alumni, you got your media, your boosters, um, and a lot of a lot of corporations and entities uh, do this, you know, and and do it well. And I think it also helps the student athlete, whether it's a professional sports career or just a uh, professional career in something else. If they can, you know, sound competent when they talk and, and that they can form a, you know, a, a sentence, have something to say that's insightful. I think that goes a long ways for them as just people in general. I don't know if you'd agree with that. Completely and totally. And, and, and I do. And I have told players, you know, I know your goal is to be a professional athlete um, when your career is over here. And part of, uh, part of your development uh, is on the field. But a, a large part of your development is also off the field and being able to um, stand up there in front of the media after a tough loss and being able to answer the questions. And uh, that's part of you know, that's part of your development. That's part of the process. And, and a lot of, you know, our student athletes aren't going to go pro. Um, but a lot, a lot of those who don't go pro are going to be in jobs where, where – they have to talk to a boss after they made a mistake, um, where they did something wrong, uh, or they have to, you know, be a public speaker for for their organization. And uh, having the confidence and understanding of how to do that uh, is an important part of uh, of, of their lifelong learning. It really is. And, and you see it. I mean, like, you know, here in the Northwest, uh, you know, we follow it when if it's the NFL, usually the Seahawks and you have Russell Wilson, who I think is kind of a, a master at this where, you know, whether it's a big win or a big loss, you know, he says some of the right things. He does express disappointment. He's honest, but but he never sounds petty or or that he's. Um, inappropriate, you know, and, and that's a true professional, right? That's somebody that's that's uh, aware of the Seahawks brand, his own brand, and, and just being a you know a good person and a good communicator. And you don't want to get lost in the emotion of that moment and saying something inappropriate, and then the next day you sort of regret it, and you're trying to backtrack that, you know. And and, um, and I'm sure you guys have experienced probably a lot of questions with the impact of coronavirus as far as you know. Hey, when's football going to get going, or what's going on? I mean, have you guys had a uh, a message with that because I'm sure that that's got to be a challenge because things are ever changing. Yes, and uh, you know, absolutely, and it's been a it's been an interesting time, and it's it's it, it's funny because there isn't really a roadmap for how you know from from basically March 12th till now on how to do this because nobody's ever we've not had to go through it before, and so there is a little bit of. Uh, Touch and go, and, and figuring out how are you gonna how are you gonna handle each piece of this along the way. Thankfully, I've got um, friends and colleagues who I can lean on and who I can ask. You know, how are you how are you handling this? And how are you know how's your university doing this? And what are you what are you guys gonna say? And uh, we kind of you know 
can brainstorm together and work together and, and, and deal with those sorts of things. We, you know, we just, uh, just today, you know, COVID related, we announced um, uh, a schedule for returning to the campus for our football student athletes. So, you know, my, my role related to that was to, to write the uh, statement that we would have and to, and to push it out to the media. So, um, you know, that's, a, that's very typical and uh, in terms of what we've had to do we've kind of gone along this process. Yeah, it seems like more and more in our society with social media, uh, TV, YouTube, um, uh, you know, TV in general, people with their phones, uh, immediate news stories that having the word out and the word out in a clear concise manner is really really important i mean the white house does it i mean all all over the the country people are trying to find ways to get messages and communication it just seems like it's a role that's that's growing and more important um so that's really cool i mean that that's that's really good i'm excited for football hopefully that thing gets gets rolling um you know, uh, so again, this is AP and Spence, and we're talking with Jason Knavel here, and he's the assistant AD for athletic communications for Bowling Green State University, and he's gracious enough to share us some thoughts. And uh, you know, Jason, kind of as a, as a last thought, I know you're super busy here on this Friday, and we really appreciate your time. Uh, I, one thing we wanted to chat about is is uh, Bowling Green uh, baseball. I know that um, I think that the program they made the decision that they needed to eliminate the program. Uh, but it sounds like there's some other uh, things in the works. Is that right? Yeah, actually, we we have already announced that we're bringing the baseball program back. So we're 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 extremely excited about that. It's uh, COVID is COVID has has forced a lot of universities to make a lot of tough decisions, and cutting a program is is not something you take lightly. It's not something. Um, that any athletic director wants to do but not something they want to have on resumes because it's not a it's not a good look uh in terms of uh cutting the program but um but for us we had to we had to reduce approximately two million dollars out of our athletic budget for the year and and uh the decision was was made that, that baseball was going to be the uh, a sport that had to be eliminated to, to be able to get us to that two million dollar number and um, thankfully, um, our alums and fans and donors stepped up uh, in ways we could have ever imagined um, and have uh, pledged $1.5 million, which is enough to get us through at least the next three years. And then we're putting structure and a plan in place to, uh, to, to really tap into, tap into our alums moving forward and, and to be able to have baseball long term from the bat uh, so that it doesn't stop in three years um, because that's not what happened to there's no if we were if we were planning to bring this back for just three years uh, there's no reason to even why, why waste the money why waste the time um, in terms of that so we're we're excited we're thrilled that our law really stepped up and, and have made the difference there was a, a, a group that really led the way in terms of that um, and, uh, and, and we're, and we're thrilled with it. Andy Tracy, who is, uh, uh, head coach of the Columbus Clippers is, is a, is a BGSU alumnus and, and, uh, and, uh, was part of that leadership team. Um, you know, a name that folks out there would probably recognize Oral Hershiser is a BGSU alumnus and, uh, has, uh, had some Zoom calls with our baseball team. Since we uh, since we brought the program back, so 
Um, most of our players have recommitted. Uh, both both players who were looking to leave and as well commit over the next couple of years um, have recommitted to the program. So so we're excited to get things back and rolling again. Oh, it's such an amazing story. I mean, that's so cool. I mean, it was, yeah, it was big, I mean, nationwide news when, when uh, Bowling Green uh, unfortunately had to, to eliminate baseball. Uh, but what, a, what an amazing story that everybody sort of uh, banded together and brought this historic program back. And it shows that how connected, I mean, boosters and fans and alumni and, the, and communities really are to their college athletics. I mean, it's, it's a pastime. It's, it's a pride. I feel it, you know, with USC and my alma mater, I mean, if they had to eliminate any program, I would feel, um, you know, sour about it and upset. And uh, that's really, really cool. That's a really cool story. It says a lot about Bowling Green and, um, and the things they can kind of overcome. Uh, what a cool story. By the way, uh, we talked to Derek Miller, who uh, works with football there at Bowling Green, and he used to work at USC with me. And that's a really class act guy. He knows what he's doing. He's a really good recruiter. So you guys got a good one there. Yeah, Derek's been great. Just, this is his first year, and and I've uh, enjoyed working with him so far. And we're gonna we're gonna hopefully get in the bunker here together uh, before long, as with football getting underway this year, and and uh, work towards uh, bring our football program back to where it should be, uh, which is at the MAC championship level, as we as we were as we won titles from 2013 to 15, but we've come on some. Uh, some hard times. We've 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 uh, we had a lot of success, and you have coaches move on uh, when you're at a mid-major like BG, and uh, so we're working to get it back. I know both Aaron and I love some action. We we oh. love watching some action. <laughs> so every, everybody does. Every, it's so they're so fun. They're great great teams. They play with a lot of energy, lots of points. Uh, you know, other than you know, other than NIU, it's it's a lot of high offense teams, right? So uh, we we, yeah. we love some action. Yeah, I yeah, think, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like that conference that they they do. I mean, they probably have some budget constraints, you know, that maybe more so than other uh, conferences might have some out there. But they maximize what they what they do. I mean, they have lean, mean machines that get it done. That's impressive. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. They, the the innovation that has to come out of the Mac is uh, just impressive, and you know it. It really was the Mac was really the originators of the spread offense, and, and that comes from when you're in the Big Ten footprint, and the Big Ten is able to get all those uh, all those big bodies, you know, inside uh, on the on the offensive and defensive line, and you've got to come up with a kind of a different way to recruit, and so. You know, we, Urban Meyer made his, uh, Urban Meyer's first head coaching job was at Bowling Green and uh, kind of the originator of the spread offense. And you've seen a lot of coaches who began their college coaching careers uh, in the MAC. And, you know, we recently had Dave Clawson, who's uh, the head coach of Lake Forest now, and Dino Babers, who's the head coach of Syracuse. And uh, they both came through and won MAC titles uh, for Bowling Green. And, there have been a lot of other schools who have um, seen similar success when you get the right coach in place and somebody who's an innovator, somebody who's, you know, not afraid to uh, to do things differently when you're uh, when you're sitting in the Big Ten football. Yeah, it's it's funny that you mention that because I mean I you know I'll, I'll mention a small name that you maybe have heard of Chip Kelly uh, who was at Oregon yeah. and uh, he I mean when he had a, the spread going at Oregon I mean f- for a while there kind of the you know, 2010 to 
you know, th- 12, 13, 14. I mean, a couple of national championship runs, you know, that Oregon went through. He was almost unbeatable. I mean, it was almost, it was like a cheat code on a video game. It didn't make any sense. And USC yeah. had all these elite talent um, uh, players and, and big players, and they would just put Oregon players in positions where it just combated that, and, and it was almost unfair. And I think it really changed the game in a lot of ways, and it even took a little bit of it to the NFL. The NFL does some of that, too. Which So Bowling Green is, is the tree uh, for that. I didn't know that. that that's fascinating. So, I, well, I can't wait to watch uh, Bowling Green football this fall. And we're going to be cheering them on. I know Spencer and I will for sure. Absolutely. Go Falcons. Yeah, go Falcons. And, and uh, Jason, we really appreciate your time today on this Friday. Um, and I'm so excited that baseball is getting going for you guys, uh, you know, and again. And that's such a cool story. We really appreciate your time and your insights today. And, and uh, hopefully we can keep in touch with you. Absolutely. Thank you very much. This is a lot of fun. Go. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, see you, man. Take Talk care. Later. We will see you. All right, well, that was an absolutely incredible interview with Jason Knavel. Uh, what a great guy. Uh, gosh, how about Bowling Green wrapping their arms around the, uh, the baseball program? Yeah, that's amazing to hear. And, and you saw why they got, had to get rid of uh, baseball to save that money, and that was the most impact they could have. They didn't want to do it, but had to do it financially. And the community stepped up, rallied around, and that's what college sports are all about. It's a tradition. It's history. It's family. And that's such an amazing story. And I think Jason did such a good job, too. I mean, these we talked to media people the last couple of weeks, and they do such a good job of, of just uh, breaking things down. They're the communicators. They're the knowledge. They're the information, like we're trying to do for our podcast listeners. That's right. All right, this is AP and Spence. We're two lawyers talking, co- talking sports, sports law, college sports. Um, we, uh, you know, to end the episode today, that we there's still a lot going on. Uh, boy, Florida just put out a new name, image, and likeness law that went into effect today. Uh, it's or went into it's going to be going into effect on July first, two thousand twenty-one, which is eighteen months sooner than the laws in California and Colorado. Um, and you know, it'll be really interesting to see how it all plays out, right? I mean, the the NCA is going to have to respond to this here pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, because the NCA is not bound by these rules necessarily, right? But it. it it's tough because they can say, you know, we're going to, we understand these laws are out there. We want to modernize, but we're going to make sure everything's a playing field. So Florida, if you want to do that, your, your student athletes are ineligible, but go ahead. You can follow the rules and they're not going to do that. They're not going to want to do that. Um, but the bottom line is this is getting pushed through name and image and likeness is going to happen. But I'm telling you the people that are putting this in place, don't understand all the implications that this is going to have and complications it's going to create. Well, what's really interesting is I read the law, um, you know, it, there's a lot of, you know, they basically say the right things. They want students to be able to benefit from their name, image, and likeness. But at the same time, they don't provide any guidelines or rules or, or you know, they basically say there are some restrictions, and those restrictions are the school can't pay, which is something that we've heard a lot. The school can't coordinate anything like this. The pay has to be equal to what pay is with other similar situations. Uh, but they also want to preserve, uh, maintain the 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 NCA amateurism model. So how do you do that? I mean, it I, it just seems like it's going to create problems. It is. It's inconsistent. I mean, imagine Spencer, you're a swimmer for BYU, and you've been offered a speedo uh, endorsement. Now it's you're going to go to a boardroom by yourself 
and you're gonna have three lawyers on the other side and, and a CEO and then two marketing people, and you gotta negotiate your own deal? Is that what they're saying? It seems like, I mean, that's the thing. That's the thing that doesn't make any sense to me. You're saying the school can't participate in this in these negotiations, and we don't want you hiring agents. So it seems to me like the student athlete is just going to get taken advantage of, right? Yeah, and I'm sure they'll make some carve outs where all of a sudden you can hire somebody to do negotiations on your behalf for this specific. But they haven't done that yet. But I think that's going to be part of these complications. But then pretty soon, you can hire agents. You can have people negotiate. You can get money. You can get deals. But but let's. Make sure we keep this all amateur. Well, that's none of that's amateur. So it's like let's let's not let it get too pro. But what you're doing is, you know, those little those little cheese tubes. You love these where you I have love crackers yeah. and you you push the button and the the cheese comes out, the yellow cheese. Well, they're letting a little cheese out, but see, we don't want too much cheese to come out. But the bottom line is, the cheeses came out, <laughs> and so that's a horrible analogy, by the way. It's not bad. It's, it's not. But, it but you visualized it, right? Yeah, and I, I can taste it in my yeah. mouth. But the <laughs> but that's the problem, like. This is none of this is amateur. This is all professional stuff. And then there's going to be a challenge of, well, hey, I'm a bigger name than than this person. You know, Spencer Kelly's a bigger swimmer than Bill Smith, the swimmer. So why should you have to get the same deal that Bill Smith gets? Because you're faster, so you should get twice as much money, right? And so then there's going to be legal challenges about that. And then there's then they have to have caps and. They have no idea the Pandora's box they're, they're about to open, that once we open, it's going to be really hard to go backwards. Yeah, I think in theory, in, you know, it, it, in theory, it makes sense. We, there's nothing wrong with a student athlete benefiting from their name and likeness image. I mean, it doesn't. But at the end of the day, how do you regulate it? Who, who, who's, I feel like student athletes are going to get the short end of the stick here. They're going to be taken advantage of. And that's, that's what the NCA model, as it's defined right now, is there to protect, right? Yeah, and, and there's lots of ways in society we're not allowed. I mean, a 15-year-old, for the most part, is not allowed to work, right, and earn money. Um, you have to be a certain age to be the President of the United States. You have to uh, be licensed to practice law. There's certain rules and regulations in place. I don't know why it was such a bad idea to just say, if you're an amateur athlete, you can't get paid like a pro athlete. We'll give carve-outs, you'll get a scholarship, but you're an amateur. If you want to make a pro and make pro money, go overseas. Or wait till your your time to go pro. But but we're now we're introducing this, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, um, compliance offices, which are an essential service by the way for athletic departments, and so no matter what the economy does, they're like first, they always have to be there, and they're going to beef up. They're beefing up because this is going to be complex. We're going to end up having pro many professionals running around the programs, and then are now are they are they employees? Right. Is there workers' compensation? Are you, as a workers' compensation attorney, now going to represent a bunch of Oregon Duck football players? I don't know, Spence. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. The other thing that's been really interesting and exciting is that it looks like college football is starting. Not only is college football starting, but college football is going to be starting on time. If you go back to podcasts like 12, 14, 16, 18, right in there, I don't know if you recall, I guaranteed football was going to go because it's king in America. And I wouldn't be surprised if it started on time, but I guaranteed it was going to go. And then it's going to go. And it's probably going to start on time. There's just too much money at stake. Now, I understand coronavirus in some areas are kind of peaking. Um, I'm no medical expert. I don't know. But it makes sense that if you're going to start opening up the economy, more people are going to start getting it. Sure. And if you're testing 10 times the people, you're going to start finding more positives, right? Sure. And so, yeah, we're getting a, a rise. That was probably expected. But barring some kind of crisis rise... I think football's starting on time. Now, I don't know what that means for fans. 
maybe the first three games there's no fans, they phase in fans, maybe they're 25% capacity. We'll find out. They're, these are outdoor stadiums. Um, you know, it's not like we're all confined to cubicles here. Except for Syracuse. Except for Syracuse, exactly right. And I think Idaho might have an indoor football stadium. University you know. of Idaho? Yeah. The Vandals? I think they do. I think okay. it's, a, it's an underground stadium that I was told about once time. <laughs> what did I read about online? I don't think that's true. I, don't yeah. <laughs> I always believe everything I read online. Yeah, for sure, as you should. But but bottom line is, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to be out here. I know you are. You're a doctor of I'm jurisprudence. Not a doctor. I'm not a doctor in no way, in no way in shape or form. Well, but jurisprudence. You, jurisprudence, that's true. Okay, I'll take that. But, but yeah, no, I, I just, it'll be really interesting to see what happened? I, I read a, online that Houston had six positive, uh, positive coronavirus uh, tests that came back, and and so they sh- shut down all voluntary works workouts right now. Yeah. This is supposed to open up July sixth. That's going to be six weeks from college football starting. Yeah, and that's three weeks from now. Yeah, um, it's going to happen, Spence. I'm telling you right now, it's too big to fail. It's like saying we got to shut down banks, you know, or something like that. It, it just can't happen. Otherwise, you might as well just end college athletics for a couple of years, shut them all down, and, and they can't do that, right? And, and so um, it's going to happen. It's going to go. Uh, they're going to have spikes. We're going to have to deal with that. And um, you got to remember, too, uh, these athletes are probably the lowest risk population. doesn't mean they can't have complications, but statistically speaking, based on what we understand, they're the lowest risk population. Right. Um, so, you know, these aren't people that are 75 with all kinds of health conditions and stuff. So that's good. That's one good thing. Um, you know, and, and you don't have to do it. If you want to quit, you can quit. Um, but hey, we play football when there's a flu. Yeah, that's right. So let's get, let's get football going. How about that? Let's get football going. I'm for it. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, this is AP and Spence for two lawyers talking sports, college sports, college sports law. Uh, this has been a fun episode, as it always is, uh, of course. Uh, next week's episode should be another good episode. Uh, we hope that you enjoy it and keep listening. See you, everybody.